Today on The Ticker Tapes, we hear from Faye, whose daughter Chanel was born with a rare congenital heart condition. She's changed everything that I think about life. I enjoy everything and I enjoy everything I do for me and like as a family, every, I'd enjoy every aspect of life so much more. I appreciate everything so much more and I think we all live a fuller life because of her. We see a different size and we know how precious it is. From the British Heart Foundation, I'm Ruth Huntman. On the ticker tapes, we hear from people living with heart and circulatory disease. In this episode, Mum of three, Faye, 31, talks to me about dealing with the shock diagnosis when she was pregnant with Chanel and how her daughter's remarkable fight to survive earned her a place in the Guinness Book of Records. Faye, thank you so much for joining me on the ticker tapes today. Chanel is your third child. Can you just tell me a little bit about your family before you had Chanel and and your pregnancies with her elder brothers, Cole and Chase? Yeah, um, me and my husband have three children, as you said. Um, The oldest is Chase, he's 11 now. And we have Cole, who's nine now. Through the pregnancies, we had um, miscarriages in between. So we had two miscarriages before Chase And then we had two miscarriages before Cole as well. And then Chanel was our third. So she was extra special when when you found out she was finally coming along? Yeah, um, we had um, always wanted them very close together in age gap. So that's why um, there's only 18 months between her and Cole and there's two years between Chase and Cole. So they're very close in age gaps and we always wanted a few three children and all them close in age gaps to grow up together so you planned it carefully then very meticulously uh I think it was it was a bit difficult because obviously we didn't expect to have miscarriages so we were pregnant I was pregnant for a long time it felt like um we had two miscarriages and then chase and two miscarriages then called quite quickly so it felt like I was pregnant forever I don't think my husband will mind us saying he wanted to have a little bit of a gap. I think he saw how emotionally draining it was on me and physically as well, having the miscarriages and the pregnancy so close together that he wanted to have a little, like, a break and then have a baby out of them. But I was determined I wanted to go ahead with the third one. But it was a bit of a hard pregnancy because you think, am I going to miscarry again? I sort of half expected to miscarry again because I thought my body might have had that rhythm of two miscarriages, then a baby. So you're always anxious anyway if you've had miscarriages that through pregnancies. Yeah. You always got that in the back of your mind. But um, it's funny with Chanel's pregnancy, I felt like obviously she had this heart condition, but before I even knew about the condition, from as soon as I found out I was pregnant, I had this overwhelming feeling something was wrong I knew something was wrong very early on everyone kept trying to reassure us and I just knew something was wrong so early it's very strange to explain (laughs) so was it just your instinct or do you think it was also part of uh, you know it was it was the worry and as you say what you'd been through emotionally with with your miscarriages yeah, I think you're obviously anxious because you've miscarried. And yeah. then I sort of thought, I half expected that um, I would never carry a child first time. I always thought I would have a few miscarriages and then carry a child like me previous pregnancies. So we even went for a um, private scan with Chanel. I actually even thought maybe it's boys, uh, girls I can't carry. Maybe I can only carry boys because you only have investigations if you have 
three consecutive miscarriages where I'd ne- even though I'd had four I'd never had three in a row I'd had two then a boy two then a boy yeah. so I thought even in my head maybe I can't carry girls so we paid for, we paid for a private scan before my 20 week scan which now I'm pleased I did because it was a pleasanter experience than my 20 week scan and we took mm-hmm. the boys along and we found out then that she was a girl but even the, then the tried to reassure us, they do a sort of health check there on their private scan um, when I was 16 weeks. And they try and reassure us everything was fine. And I still came out and was, oh, something's still wrong, telling my husband, oh, something's still wrong, Some, they're not right. Really? Because, oh. you, I mean, you've been, you've been through so much psychologically before that. So I suppose that was, it was all that worry mounting up as well. Maybe's yeah, maybe yeah. it was all mountain up, but um, it's funny now that I I I feel like I was right. I knew this feeling was, yeah, was yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. So, um, when did you find out you were pregnant with with Chanel? What was what was the date? I know it was very early on because I remember I had a very early on scan because of my miscarriages. I had a scan, and when I went, I was only six weeks. Wow. Um, so. so- and uh, that was a scan, so I must have found out literally very quick. <laughs> yeah, and so that was 2013? Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about the 20-week scan, because the 20-week scan is 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 when everything changed for you, isn't it? Yeah, they do as they always do, and um, I'd obviously been through it with the boys, and they're going, I went into a room by myself, and then they do check over everything before they call your partner in. And I seen she was checking over everything and then she got her part and she just, her face changed and she looked a little puzzled and she was taking her time and the time just started to drag. And I was thinking, is something wrong now? Why is she going over the same parts? And she wouldn't look at us. She was just, her face was focused on the screen and she was really concentrating and it it didn't look good. I, I could tell it didn't look good. And then she just said, I need to call your husband in before I just go through something. And I went, I just felt like, uh, just like, I know, I knew something's the matter, something's wrong. Um, and then she called me husband in and she just sat down and just said, when I've been going over the heart, the left side of the baby's heart isn't beaten. Um, we didn't know what that entailed, so we asked. And she, she just looked really sad and she went, well, the baby can't live with only half of the heart beaten. And that's really all she knew, I think. So, wow. So she was very direct. I mean, she didn't. That was the sonographer, the lady doing the scan. So she told you that, and mm-hmm. you, you hadn't. She just dropped that bombshell, basically, and you didn't get have any other opinion at the time. She didn't call a doctor in. No, there wasn't really any more specialists there. She she referred us to uh, the RVI, the Royal Victoria Infirmary in Newcastle, which was more specialist. But I remember it was a bank holiday and this was on a Friday and thinking, I've got to go even another day <laughs> to see them because me, the girl is in quite quickly, but it was even a bank holiday. So I was going to have to go all the weekend with just this news. And all I thought at that moment was they're going to make us... Um, terminate there's mustn't be anything they can do I mean what can you do I, I didn't know anything like this I so the weekend was just horrendous it was funny actually on the Sunday with this being the British Heart Foundation on the Sunday I was literally going out in my mind thinking 
I can't cope with this anymore. I need to talk to someone. Someone needs to tell us a little bit more. So I rang the hospital back and I got a lovely nurse on the phone who said, can you go on the website of the British Heart Foundation and download a booklet called Hyperplastic Left Heart Syndrome? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, thankfully, I've got something. So on the Sunday, this is a Sunday afternoon, we put the boys to bed and my husband went, don't look at it until I come down the stairs. <laughs> I was like, so he came down the stairs and as he was coming down the stairs, we promised to read it together. But my eye sort of skimmed over the booklet quickly. And I just remember the bullet points very quick. Um, three open heart surgeries in the first few days of life. Only 50% of these children make it to the age of five. Possible transplant in the future. Uh, it was just all this quickly I just bullet pointed what I could see and it was all going through my mind and I think I burst into tears before I even got to the bottom of the stairs he was he promised you wouldn't look at it without us I was I haven't really just I've just skimmed over yeah uh, and just picking out the kind of it's weird isn't it how when you read something that you know is not great news you automatically pick out the kind of worst possible scenario yeah I, they, they were just the things that popped out iris yeah, yeah it just felt like overwhelming oh my goodness uh, I think it was just it, it's just a, too much it's a lot to take in definitely C- can I ask you Faye because you mentioned that is the condition that that Chanel was born with hyperplastic left heart which is is you know often called half a heart which is how it was explained to you but when you were having the scan, did they actually tell you it was called what the condition was called or was it only afterwards? Yeah, not at my local hospital. It wasn't until we got referred to the specialist after the bank holiday, which was on the Tuesday. Um, and when we went to that appointment, that's when we got we got another scan, which is a very in-depth that went on for a long time. And then we got sat in a room and told it was called hyperplastic left heart syndrome. This sort of confirms the things that it said in the British Heart Foundation booklet, which we knew a little bit about. Yeah. They went dug more in depth with the surgeries that she would need three stage surgeries, one in the first few days, one in the first few months and one in the first few years of life. They give statistics of like 50% survival rate to make it through the first one, which was called the Norwood. Then the statistic rates went a little higher with the surgeries. They said there was lots of complications that could happen along the way with lots of these babies are tube fed, that some have strokes, some have brain damage because of oxygen during surgeries. They give us all the little other things that could happen to these children as well. When it was explained more, did you feel like there was a little bit more hope rather than compared to what you'd been told at the scan that, you know, she's not going to survive, which was yeah. fairly brutal? Did you, you knew it was, it, it, it still wasn't good, but did you feel still a little bit more hope? Definitely. It was just like, at least they can do something. Yeah, definitely. Aha, uh-huh, yeah. We were we thought straight away that was our biggest thing. I think we knew straight away we wanted to fight and do everything for her because and so that was just the the new the news we wanted. As long as we can do something, we can try something. Yeah, that was a definitely relief still, even though it was a lot to intake, take in and big news and it was just a information overload. I think. Um, yeah, yeah. It's I I can't begin to imagine how you start to process something like that so you you said earlier on that um 
you know, one of the things you was worried about was that a, a termination might be suggested. Is that, were you given options? Was that ever mentioned to you? Yeah, we were told, we were asked then if we wanted to terminate. And we were, Chanel developed an extra complication called an intact atrial septum, um, which happened, it closed throughout the pregnancy. So um, we were told when it, got, when it got worse, about 30 weeks, we were sat down and asked if we wanted a termination again. But we were told at any point through the pregnancy, if we ever decided that we wanted to do that, we could just bring it up and we could terminate anyway right up until she was due, if we had ever changed our mind at any point. But we were actually asked to sat down and think about it twice, once then and once when we got the news of our extra complication as well. And did... I'm, I'm sorry if this is, and if you don't want to answer this, this is fine, but was there ever any doubt in you and your husband Michael's mind that you, you, you were going to reject the termination and you wanted your baby to have every chance at survival? Yeah, we we never, I don't think we could have done it, no. We, we never really, I mean, honestly, I did sit and think once when we were given such news about our intact atrial septum, we were, our survival rates dropped drastically when it, it became intact and we got a 20% survival rate through the pregnancy. And then further on when it became intact, we only got a 5% survival rate later on in the pregnancy. And as this number just kept dropping, I did question myself and think, am I doing this? because I want her so much. Is this me being selfish? Do I want her so much? Is it fair to bring her into the world to go through pain? Or am I doing this to give her a chance? Like, is this fair? Is, this, is it me being selfish? And I had to make sure I was, I had to question myself a little on that. But the way I saw it sort of in my head was, I'd had miscarriages and I, if, I, if it was a child, one of my boys, I would have fought for them no matter what the survival rate was. So if I'd took that five, if I'd had a termination, that was me taking that 5% chance away, which I couldn't have lived with. If something had happened to her when she was born and I'd give her every chance, I could have lived with that. I could, I could have felt comfortable knowing that I'd give her the chance and I'd tried, but I couldn't have lived with the chance that it would have been me taking that 5% away from her and not even giving her a chance. There's, you've explained that so beautifully and there's no, I mean, there's no right or wrong answer. As you say, it's it's a very personal choice and nobody else has the right to, you know, make those decisions for you or to judge you for that. So, yeah, yeah. I, again, I can't imagine having to make that choice. And, and just to go back a little bit, Faye, the pregnancies with Cole and Chase, were they, they were both born relatively healthy? They didn't have heart conditions? No, they didn't have heart conditions. Um, when Chanel was born, we had both the boys checked over just because her heart condition was so severe um, that I'd, I'd read stories of maybe some going undetected over the years, heart conditions and things. So I had both the boys checked over and we found out when Chase was actually five that he has a leaky valve. He just has yearly checkups. But that was something that we would probably, if it wasn't for Chanel, we would have never ever thought to go and have him checked or we would probably still not even know. So yeah, it wasn't picked up in pregnancy. They were both healthy and both fine. We literally just got them checked as a precaution because of Chanel's condition, which I'm glad I did. It is obviously best to know he, he might need surgery in the future. They think he might be a very 
older and older adult before he ever needs surgery but he has yearly checkups and it's glad that we can monitor this and we know about it rather than if it wasn't for Chanel we would have never never thought to know yeah exactly as, as you say it might I mean a leaky valve you can you can sort of live with that quite happily but at least you 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 know what the situation yeah. is and you've you've got some some peace of mind so going back to when you after you'd made the decision, despite, you know, the, the bad odds and everything, what was, again, this may seem a silly question, but can you put into words when you came out from that consultation, having decided I'm, I'm going to have my baby, what was the, the sort of overriding thought that you and Michael had? What was your biggest, biggest fear, I suppose? I think our biggest fear was ever losing her. Yeah. How how would you cope with that? How would yeah. you cope with losing a child? When we found out about her intact septum as well, she needed a fourth, added fourth open heart surgery, which would be at birth. Um, I knew that she was going to have open surgery immediately at birth. I was, and she was going to be took off as I wouldn't get to touch her. I remember asking if at any point during the surgery at birth, I hadn't even held her. If you think she's not going to make it before she passes, please let her. Please come bring her back to us. Please let her hold. Let me hold her while she's still alive. If anything, if you've got any doubt at all, she's not going to do this. Please let bring her back as quick as you can so I can hold her. Wow. What 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 kept you going through through the pregnancy, which you know up until Chanel was born, which must have been horrendous for you. But what? You know what? What kept you going? Was there any sort of positive thought, or, or sort of? I think feeling her. I think yeah. When she, uh, it was horrendous pregnancy. I'm not going to lie. I think pregnancy was the hardest part because it was information overload. It was just sitting waiting for the unknown. I just wanted to get on with it. I just wanted her here, and I wanted to fight. I wanted to get be ready and do this. Instead, we were just sitting waiting for this to happen, and we didn't know what was going to happen. So it just felt like a long few months of torture, waiting for the unknown. So the pregnancy was really, really hard. But when you feel her, and yet she was kicking and doing everything a normal baby should, and every time you felt sad, I didn't want her to feel me feeling sad yeah <laughs> if, if that makes sense it does and every time I had a negative thought it, I would be overwhelmed with guilt thinking does she know I'm having a sad thought or just so I, then I'd feel guilty for having these thoughts but I think it's only normal when you get told this news I mean I'm a very positive person anyway but it's it's a normal human reaction to think what if and, and and think these things but then st- yeah straight away I felt guilty for it which is crazy <laughs> it, yeah you say it's crazy but I've spoken to other families and mums in this position and you know for some reason they they guilt is a theme that comes up and I try and reassure them you've got absolutely nothing to feel guilty for <laughs> so but it, it's it's easy for someone else to say that to you though isn't it Faye yeah definitely I think that's one of the biggest things the guilt the whole way through even through surgeries when you put that through it you think um I feel guilty when as, as she gets older it gets harder so you leave her in surgeries crying and I feel like I, it's my fault 
but obviously I wouldn't change it. I know in the back of my mind I'm doing this to give her a life, but the the guilt as a parent, it, it never gets easier. Yeah, yeah. C- can I just ask you at this point, because I, I know that you and Michael, your husband, you've been together since you were teenagers, I think, so you've got a, a, a really strong relationship. I mean, how how much... How important was it to have his his support through this? And what was he like throughout the pregnancy? Um, Michael's very supportive. I mean, he's my best friend. He, we do everything together. And actually the hardest part, one of the hardest parts was through it all. We'd never had our boys babysat. We'd never had our children babysat. So we had to deal with hospitals and how one was going to be with Chanel and the boy, how we were going to ma- manage life at home with the boys. So quickly during pregnancy, we realized that we just could do it, but we just couldn't do it, be together. So what we did was one was at the hospital with Chanel. Every two days, the opposite one would come into hospital, stay with Chanel, and the other one would take the boys back home. So we would see each other in passing for like three months the first time, which was really hard because I'd never even spent a night without Michael. And we were so close. And I used to see other parents sitting by the beds and there were mums and dads and when something was happening they were going to surgeries they were there to comfort each other and I would walk around the corner and hide and cry all by myself (laughs) Um, and then I think he must have done the same he's had nights where she had a cardiac arrest in the middle of the night and um, he got called from the flats in the Freeman and I, it was my turn at home. And he was just on the phone to me, but pacing this room for hours until he was allowed in to see her. Um, and we had to do everything sort of alone in hospital, all the bits. Yeah. So as if it wasn't hard enough, that was mm-hmm. that was an extra layer of, of uh, hard for you as well. When you had the early scan, Faye, the private scan and you found out what sex Chanel was did you name her at that point as well yeah I think we did yeah, yeah we named yeah. we named her I still remember um the first person who asked uh, we went through all these surgeries these all these appointments through pregnancies and we used to have regular scans I think they were every two weeks we had so many scans and then when we got to sign the consent forms for our, obviously we had to sign them in pregnancy because Chanel was going to have an open heart surgery immediately at birth. So we went over the Freemans for a tour and that's the first time we've seen where she was going to be, the intensive care unit and the, everything. And we sat down with the surgeon and we met the surgeon for the first time. And he, the first thing he said was, what's our name? And I, and I just, I've never forgot it because no, everyone just talked about the baby and he was going to be the one that was standing next to us through my C-section. He was going to grab her. He was going to be there where I was having birth and do the surgery straight away. And he, he was the first one to say, what's her name? And he treated her like a person straight away, even though she was still inside us. And it just meant so much. Like, uh-huh. Yeah, that's that's making me feel really emotional, actually, <laughs> just thinking about that. So, um, so she, Chanel was born in February 2014. And and was she was she born at the Freeman? Faye? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she was born in cardiac theatres. Yeah, yeah. And can just explain to me what that was like the actual the actual birth. It was a bit of a unique scenario because the Freemans don't have any maternity facilities at all. There are um, cardiac units. It was cardiac theatres, so I had to have a team from the. RVI come over to the Freeman Hospital to look after me and then I give birth and we had two adjoining theatres one and two 
I had the section C-section in theatre one while the surgeon stood at my side. And then as soon as she was born, I remember the her, her anaesthetist was in the room as well. And he tried to wear and she, he lifted her up and she, the scales weren't working and the nurse was panicking. And I he, remember hearing the beeping in the corner and he lifted her up and down and just went seven pound, go, go, go. And uh, the room just, everyone emptied and obviously went next door to operate on her. And all I remember saying was, did he just guess her weight? And it's because he didn't have time. She would have, they had to perform this so quickly. We were told she was surviving from oxygen from the umbilical cord. And as soon as that umbilical cord would, was cut, she would pass very quickly after birth. So obviously they were just trying to get as quick as possible and these skills weren't working. So we had to anaesthetize us. We just lifted that up and down. And I mean, that's probably saved our life, how, how, what he did do, because that's how they needed to pee so quick. But the room just felt so full. And then so empty, and it was surreal. How then, how many people do you, do you can you remember being there in total? Do you think? I think I've got a photo of it actually, yeah. um, of the room. Um, there was uh, about maybe ten plus people. Oh wow! But there was a lot of people, extra people for me as well, because in case anything had gone wrong with my C section, I wasn't in a hospital that could look after us properly. So I had me a, a good team around me as well, just because it was a, such a unique scenario, and I was away from a maternity hospital. So there was a lot of people for me as well but then obviously she, there was so many people and they were just opening the doors and she just went and it was just it just felt so empty and I think everyone went so quiet as well and yeah. it was crazy yeah oh again you've explained that brilliantly was Michael able to be with you Yes, he sat yeah. by my side. He actually watched the whole thing. Um, oh. he, he, good job. He's not squeamish, but no, he, it was. They were just so lovely with us. They couldn't have done enough, like to make us. They knew the circumstances were so sensitive. So there was a trainee asked to come in, even, and I gave him my phone, and I just put my phone in his hand, and I went please take a picture of that. It might be the only picture I ever have alive. Oh, and then I felt this poor, this poor trainee. And he, he, a few months after, he came to visit us on the ward and he said, um, do you know when you asked me to do that, I was more nervous for that than I was any of my exams or anything through me so far. He says, I was, I'm so sorry. <laughs> the poor, but he was, he was so lovely though. But so I actually have like, he said he just pressed the phone nonstop. So I have the whole of that coming out of my stomach, the whole section in like, cause he just didn't want to miss any moment. So I've got oh. it. I've got it very detailed pictures. Yeah, more detailed than perhaps you. <laughs> <laughs> then you then you would normally probably get but yeah yeah you can laugh about it now but um yeah uh-huh yeah it 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 doesn't say it's it's not something that you would wish anybody to go through I mean how much did did Chanel what actually weigh did you ever find out the real her real weight um we had her weighed on intensive care when she was after a theatre and she obviously was overloaded with fluid and she was seven one with with a lot of fluid attention. So he might not have been far off. <laughs> I was gonna say it's a pretty good guess. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Um so uh, but but joking aside, so um did you a- actually get to I know you didn't get to hold Chanel, but did you get to see her before she was whisked away? 
No, I got a quick glimpse, obviously, it happened so fast. And during uh, they kept me in theatre for a lot longer time with all the scenario which was going on in the hospital I was in. So they kept us in theatre for a long time. And it went to about four hours and I was slightly going insane. And I was obviously still going through an operation myself and I was getting a bit panicky. So I, there was a lovely, I had a lovely anaesthetist with me and she went, can I have your phone? And she disappeared. And then she came back and she had a photo with of Chanel in the next room. Um, and she had a sticker over her sternum and um, she was on a ventilator and she brought her back and she went, there you go, she's alive, she made it. And oh, that was just, oh, that was just in all them hours, I'm getting TV now. <laughs> that was, sorry, that was I don't, all, I don't, oh, it's all right. <laughs> it's like reliving it a little when I, because I can pick that photo, I've got that photo and I look at it all the time. And I think like, I just remember I handed me phone because I didn't know where she went. And then she came back and she went, there you go, she's alive, she made it. And I was like, it was just, just a relief. Like you were thinking, what's going on all this time? Someone come and tell us something. Uh -huh. and, and what was, what but when you saw the first picture of Chanel, you saw her essentially for the first time. Yeah. What what was going through your mind? Can you remember what you how did she look and and what were you feeling? Yeah, I just like I, I could just see the boys and I was just saying, Oh, she looks like Chase, she looks like Cole, look at her eyelashes, look at her and then she's much fairer. Um the boys are very dark. I was going, Hey, look at her hair, she looks so hair for a girl, her hair's very fair. The boys were born with lots of jet black hair. And it was nice because it was I was thinking of all the normal feelings that you should feel. Yes. Of a mom and when you've just had a baby, you talk about, oh, look how much hair they've got, look at this. And you're picturing them. And I was just getting, or trying to grasp all that from this photo, which I'd missed. Yeah, yeah. And did did she look sort of visibly poorly? Like, did she look blue or? No, apart? she didn't. Uh, no, 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 she was on a ventilator. She had her eyes closed and she's got a, she had a sticker over her sternum. But no, she just looked asleep and peaceful. And she looked like a little doll. She was just nice and pink and she didn't look poorly. She just looked, I just couldn't, you just couldn't believe that yeah. she had all this going on really. Like yeah. if you took the tube away, it was just, you just wanted to go and pick up. Well, uh, the instinct is, yeah, I just want to go and see and I'd give us that. Like, and I knew I couldn't go and pick her up like that on the ventilator and things. And yeah. it, yeah. Uh -huh. But if you took all that away, it was just what I'd wanted and it was just me baby I just wanted to go and hold <laughs> yeah and it would is it fair to say that you for the first time in sort of in in the nine months pregnancy you allowed yourself a kind of a, a, a slight you know to, to breathe because she was here very poorly but she had survived the first major hurdle yeah definitely I think your whole mindset changes our pregnancy was so awful and unknown and although you can feel them kick you still I still had these thoughts which sometimes come into my mind that obviously I said that I felt guilty for but once she was here all that went and no matter how I knew she had such a journey ahead and she was so poorly still but there was just this feeling once she was here like none of that mattered we just had to get on with it and get our better it was it just my whole mindset changed when she was born from seconds yeah, she was just your beautiful new baby girl. Yes, definitely. Uh -huh. And it was lovely to feel that because I didn't want it to be overwhelmed with just this, all these medical things and this pooly baby. She wasn't just a 
this medical condition. She was my baby as well, not just a medical condition. Can you just I- explain, because, I mean, that we'll talk about the other surgeries that, that Chanel's had and her challenges, but she was basically operated on at a minute old. Yeah. And that was... Now, she ended up in the Guinness Book of Records, Faye, is that right? Because she was the youngest ever child to have open heart surgery? Yeah, she's uh, she was entered in the Guinness World Records and entered in the British Medical Journal as well for that first surgery because it was recorded um, in her medical notes, which I've got a copy of, as one minute old. She was born at 9.44 and the anaesthetist, record, anaesthetist recorded her first surgery at 9.45 a.m. So that was the start. That's how quick. But I think they went out this room in literally three seconds. So I can understand how it was that quick. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so she, it was recorded as the world's youngest ever open heart surgery patient. Wow. And can you just explain sort of in layman's terms briefly what, what that surgery was for and, and how long it lasted? There's a a gap between the um, chambers of your heart where the blood flows from the right to the left and obviously our left was undeveloped and that had become restricted during pregnancy and then it closed completely. It had become intact at 30 weeks pregnancy. She was surviving through oxygen through the umbilical cord because the blood couldn't pass through our heart to get around our body. So when she, when the, she couldn't get the um, oxygen through the umbilical cord anymore obviously the the pressure would build up and it couldn't get around our body to breathe so she would have gasped very quickly at birth trying to get a breath and it, she couldn't have and would have died passed very quickly at birth so they needed to open that at first the plan was because it was restricted they could see on an echo machine and they were planning on going through our groin which was obviously a less a lot less invasive but then when they came intact at 30 weeks they couldn't even pick it up on an echo because it closed it became very mucusy and it sort of blended in mm-hmm. and the they were worried the time scale they had they didn't want to be going in the groin and going in quite blind not being able to see um, and that's when the decision was made at 30 weeks that they would have to try open heart surgery like very quickly and then obviously that would give her the best chance because they could get in there quick and see prop- what they were doing f- as fast because it wasn't picking it was not wasn't clear anymore on an echo. Yeah, so to, to, just you, you've explained that really well, but but to, just to not put too fine a point on it. So hyperplastic left heart um, is is a, you know a, a, a rare condition, but this complication that Chanel had made it even rarer, didn't it? Yeah, I think one in five thousand. Um, babies are born with hyperplastic left heart syndrome and then we were told this was so rare that only six percent of hyperplastic left heart syndrome cases are affected by an intact atrial septum so I think it makes our like if you can do the mathematics it's like over one in three million yeah yeah <laughs> I can't but you've very, just done yeah. it for me so. <laughs> rough that's very rough I'm not a mathematics <laughs> yeah and so just um I mean she didn't she, after that first hurdle there were many more you know, sort of complications and challenges. So can you I- explain just some of the things that happened in those months that she was in hospital after that first surgery? Because Chanel had a stroke, didn't she, and a cardiac arrest that you'd mentioned as well? Yeah, so it started, she went into her first open heart, uh, well, which was meant to be the first stage of the hyperplastic left heart syndrome stages, the Norwood, which was normally at a few days old, 
these babies obviously the Normwoods the highest risk one but um she had gone the normally born and they haven't gone through anything already mm -hmm. she'd already gone through a major open heart surgery so she had to have a uh, we were trying to prolong this Norwood because of how poorly she was recovering from this but she couldn't get off the ventilator she was stuck on a ventilator so um they decided at seven days old they were going to go and put her through a Norwood procedure but the night before the surgery, they sat us down and told us how sick she was, that she couldn't get off the ventilator, she failed to breathe for herself, that going into this surgery in the position she was already in, she was at huge risk of something happening, obviously. And even coming back on, um, we were prepared for coming back on ECMO, which is a heart and lung life support machine. So we decided that night we had our christened on PICU because of this news. So we knew how poorly she was. And then when she came back, I like, it was, she was in surgery for about seven hours. And it was funny, I just heard that she was back and I just felt this oversigned relief. And I was like so happy, just rushed to see her thinking that she would look like she was. And even though she looked poorly, I just went in and it was, she didn't look just like she did. Even recovering from the last open heart surgery, she was, her chest was left open, wide open. We could see her heart beating in front of us and it was a pool of blood. You could see like a little bit of one of the lungs and the nurse quickly came over and, oh, sorry. And she put a gauze over so we couldn't see. I went to talk here. Uh, I, I want, like, I didn't, I wanted to see it. I didn't want her covered as like, just because of me, but she was, she wasn't even blue she was like white and she was she was if you touched her she was just kept so cold she had to be kept cold because of her chest being open and things but she just looked so poorly I just couldn't believe it and the excitement I felt running in them doors just to get to her and then seeing her like that it was it disappeared so quick I couldn't believe how poorly she looked yeah so and so that was the Norwood procedure Yes, that was the Norwood at seven days. At seven days. And can you just again explain um, for, for people who don't know what that procedure does? More or less, the three-stage surgeries disconnect the arteries from yes. the heart to the top of the lungs yeah. and, the and then the bottom to the... So the glens need to be sitting up. Yeah. Um, the fontan, they need to be walking. Yeah. So the... It can be pumped sitting by sitting up so it can flow and then by walking that can be pumped by the leg muscles when they're walking. So I think the Norwood is more or less a quick fix of that. It is really um, just something that they have to do until they get them grown and big enough to get to the glens to start the reroute of everything yeah absolutely yeah those three stages are very much kind of bridging operations aren't they sort yeah of to, yeah the so. norwood's more of the quick fix until we can get them big enough and then start to start rerouting everything yeah, yeah. well so already she'd been through more people what more people go through in a lifetime to two surgeries yeah. and to tell me when did she have her stroke yeah, that was just after. So she'd, she'd actually got really well. They closed her chest um, after 10 days. And then we thought we were going down onto the ward. We thought we were making progress. She got off the ventilator and they took her off a heart failure medication and weaned her off, started weaning her off things in preparation for the normal ward. And then my, it was Michael's turn at hospital and um, he was woke during the night with a heart rate of 240. 
Um, she went into cardiac arrest. At the time, we didn't know, but she'd suffered a because she was immediately put on a, back on a ventilator and she needed an external pacemaker for a while. But she, at the time, we didn't know. She'd actually had a major stroke right down her left side as well. But because she was paralysed again, it took us some time to realise that because she obviously she couldn't move. Yeah, but that's when that, ha- that happened. And then there was some brain damage, which we realised quite quickly. She had um, the effects to the left side, which has been diagnosed with cerebral palsy down that side now. She wears leg splints and things. Um, she's just actually came out of hospital on Monday. She has Botox in them when they get very tight. And she, she's got epilepsy as well, but actually we didn't find out. And she didn't have a seizure until she was five. But apparently that is when it's from, from the brain damage from that So as well. she's We're just starting to f- find out a few other things, a, a few learning needs. She's got a few memory problems. <laughs> she can't remember much, bless her. She goes upstairs and then... We, we we all just like saying now where's Chanel going oh she'll have forgot what she's doing she forgets in seconds <laughs> bless her we've got to go and find her she's get canny yeah. Uh, but yeah she forgets in seconds bless her so she's got it we're, we're learning as she gets older that the brain damage was maybe a bit more than first thought I think when she's so little we're just so concentrated on keeping her alive we're just so focused on these surgeries in her heart that. Now when now she's had a fourth she had a fourth open heart surgery when she was three and a half. So after that time, this is sort of our first that was her first lease of life because she didn't have any oxygen levels until our fourth open heart. She could hardly walk. She would like used to do a few steps and gasp and say, Mom, like that. And she she was just too worn out. We used to just carry her everywhere. She was blue. Um so the fourth open heart was like our first lease of life. So after then after that, now as the years are going on, now we're starting to like relax about the heart and we know she's stable for the time being. We're starting to pick up on all the maybe little things like concentrating her leg and getting her the Botox. And we found out she's got, she needs glasses because of the left eye, because of the stroke. She, she was tube fed all that time. We've managed to, she was tube fed for five years from straight after birth. Obviously, she, because she was ventilated straight away, she was tube fed from then all the way till she was five. We managed to wean her and it, eventually we've got no tube feeds at all now. We're picking up on some of the learning needs and the memory things. Now we're trying to learn and she's actually done like, I think only a few weeks ago, our first ever full day in school because she's had so many things over the years. She's done bits of school here and there. Then we had COVID. So she only managed her full day at school not long ago. So now she's managing with more learning. We're picking up on more things that we haven't haven't had a chance to learn because we've been so focused on keeping her alive. We're starting to be able to concentrate on other areas and help out with other things now. Quality of life. Now, I've been privileged enough to meet you all and and to actually meet Chanel and hearing you I mean I obviously know your story but hearing you talk about just some of the challenges she's had when you meet her you I mean she's the happiest most beautiful little girl and you know we use the word miracle and heart warrior but she really is unbelievable (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah she really is that's definitely one happy 
she's always happy always she doesn't she goes through so much she swallows like how many tablets she's got to, now because now we're off two feeds we she didn't like taking them as medicines she's learned to swallow them so she she just and she just does it every few hours of the day all these medicines all this medication and she doesn't even question anything she just gets on with everything a leg hurts at school she wears a splint and it, it it hurts all the time at the minute she's in a lot of pain with her arm and her leg but even when she's hurting she doesn't complain or say why have I got these things wrong? Why am I different? Or she doesn't, she's never, she just gets on with everything, even through pain. She just, she doesn't ever, ever complain about anything. It's just amazing. And it totally puts our life in perspective. Like I would never complain about anything again when yeah. I see what she goes through. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. she's just, and it's just, amazing that she doesn't even think of herself any different she'd but that's sometimes a bit of a danger she just she hasn't obviously got the stability of other children with her left side and she gives anything a go she's still a little daredevil oh honestly <laughs> she would do anything she, she just tries to do copy off what other children if they're walking if someone's been a little tinkering walking on the wall she Chanel's like right behind following I'm like oh my goodness wait there um, and she just she doesn't think she's any different and like that's the best way to be I, I'm so proud of her because of that I think she will go far because she has that mentality she doesn't think I am any different at any of you in my class I, I can do if you can do it I can do it still so she doesn't let anything stop her it's it's really, really inspiring. It's really, and it makes obviously as a parent even prouder. I just can't believe that she's mine and that's her little personality. And she's gone through so much, and that's how she, and that's how she's took it. Yeah, she like appreciates everything. Yeah, yeah. You've just answered about about six of my next questions in one, which is amazing. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I was gonna, I was gonna say. I mean, I, I, I think that a, a lot of. The, you know, you say she feels she has no limitations, which is fantastic. And I think that's kind of down to, to you and your family, really, as well. Yeah. When did you sit down and tell her about her heart condition? What? How has it been explained to her? Uh, we haven't said in as detailed as this, what we've went through, and we haven't said it, like as in depth as this she's still only seven she thinks that she has a special heart and she's heard people call it half a heart but she she knows that she goes to hospital to check on it and that she has to look after it and she knows that's why she gets tired sometimes but that's more or less as much as she knows she knows that she has we've got a lot of um friends with heart conditions who we've met through the hospital and she knows that the one that her and her heart friends have got scars because of the hospital but that's really I think as much as a seven-year-old needs right now yeah no definitely and can you going back a little bit how long did she actually spend in hospital and um and how soon after those first operations was she able to come home what's the first how old was she when you were finally able to bring her home for the first time? She was three months the first time when we first got her home. And then we were at home for three months. And then she went back in at six months for our Glenn's procedure, which was, I think, really, really hard. <laughs> because we'd had her at home and then I didn't want to let her go. And like we'd had a taste of normality. We'd had a taste of having her home and then going into the hospital and letting her go to theatre knowing that she 
it's different when they're going for an open heart surgery and you know they're coming back on event later rather than when you go back for little surgeries like cath labs and she has gastrostomies and mine more minor procedures because you know that they're gonna call you into the recovery and you're going to give them a big hug and you're going to take them home then when you go into open heart surgeries you don't know when you're going to see them again like see them awake again you they the, could be on a ventilator for weeks months you don't even know how the recovery is going to go and so it's a lot harder to take them in definitely as they get older and when it's a big surgery like that because you're not just going to say hi baby at the end of the day and give us a big hug they're going to be on a ventilator and you're not even going to be able to stay next to them you're going to have to well uh, me I'm a bit stubborn I do I sleep in a chair <laughs> and I get and I get kicked off the ward because I won't eat and do anything I won't leave I'm one of them mums that and I need to be doing everything I want to do the cares I want to do everything um and so I'm a bit overprotective when I'm in hospital like I think it's because everything's took out of control for you so I need to do as much as I can but these surgeries are so much harder and when you've been home it's like you went back in there in that six months. It just felt like we live in a nightmare. Yeah, it was like you'd gone one step backwards. I guess yeah. you wanted mm-hmm. you wanted her to just be at home and get and get on and get on with life and move forward. But yeah, yeah, we've never done a stretch in hospital like the first time though. That was three months. Yeah, I think oh, it's been like three weeks, four weeks is the maximum we've done through the other surgeries. So. They don't. They didn't feel half as long as obviously the first one. Yeah, and when did she have? Because she had a cardiac arrest. Was that in the first three months of her life? That was when she had the stroke. The seventeen that was days. The, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was that was at the same time. Yeah. Wow. And what was the first time, Faye, when you actually allowed yourself to think? You know, it it, it might be okay. It's never going to. You know, we're always going to worry. But we we can start to make some plans now, and and be a, a family. When was the first time you allowed yourself to think that? I think during our first hospital stay. I think as soon as she was here, I said it um, changed my whole outlook. When she was here, yeah, I, I do know that. I think every parent has, with one of these heart conditions, has it drilled into them all these bad things. We all know that in the back of our mind something can happen at any point at any time and it's something that you have to try and push to the back of your mind because obviously it would consume you so but that thought never goes away or I always worry that something might happen one day and she might be took out the blue and something might happen but I think that you you can't let that consume you because you wouldn't live yeah yeah you you wouldn't enjoy and when you see her and when she's doing these things and when she's fought through so much, you want to live more than you've ever lived. She's cho- she's changed everything that I think about life. I enjoy everything. And I enjoy, I even enjoy everything I do for me and, and like as a family, every, I'd enjoy every aspect of life so much more. I appreciate everything so much more. And I think even our, we all live a fuller life because of her, because of we see a different side and we know how precious it is. Um, but that thought never uh, we we are a really positive family but I think everybody has another side where they naturally are going to worry you've got somebody with a life-threatening condition and we know that we're not ignorant to that um, but even at home I mean if time passes um, 
you sort of get comfortable in between hospital stays and forget and think oh she's just a normal child and you forget about all the things and put them to the back of your mind and then when things are going good for too long I get this like a little bit of a a panic stricken feeling thinking because things are going too good for too long I worry that something's going to happen and I get a shooting pain in my chest and it all comes rushing back and so everyone has the hard times and hard bad days and then you pick yourself back up again and get on and I don't think that'll ever leave us uh I will it's a natural parental thing I think yeah but yeah so it's not all boys it's it's not all we're not no. happy all the time it is hard it's really hard I would but there's so much good in that in it all as well we've done so we've met some brilliant inspiring people we've we've lived life we've done so many things with her she's she lives a brilliant life um so there's so much good in it too yeah yeah no there definitely is I mean you know people must ask you all, all the time how how you cope do you have a coping mechanism although you know or is it just that you you take each day as it comes and just wring every last second out of it. Yeah, I think we do that. I think we definitely, yeah. uh-huh. we don't, we're not really as dwellers in this house. Or we're, we're really positive um, sort of people. And I think Chanel doesn't give you a minute either. She's a little <laughs> character. She doesn't give you time to sit and think and dwell. <laughs> She's just so full of honesty and, and years ago I would never say it. she's so full of energy <laughs> she, I've had two boys first and they were so easy but goodness she's so demanding <laughs> so that brings me brilliantly on to uh, asking you can you just explain I mean I've seen her so I know a little bit what she's like but can you just explain a little bit about her personality because she, she I, I mean she is incredible and explain she loves everything Disney as well doesn't she uh, everything girly yeah she's like a, the I think having two brothers as well because she thinks she's like the queen in the house like do this do that so she do, and then I've heard her even in school doing the same to her, the the boys in her class <laughs> so she just must think she's she is a little princess but yes yeah, she loves anything girly she loves Disney she loves dressing up she but then she'll definitely go on the other side with her dad as well and if he, our dad's doing something dirty in, in the garden and camping and boy she's so well in there and giving that a go as well where I'm like okay you can do that with your dad <laughs> uh, but yeah she'll she gives anything a go she just wants to be on the go all the time she wants to capture and experience everything and she's just so full of life she's a proper character yes definitely yeah. you're not you know you don't forget her when you meet her because she's just so full of this energy and aura and I, I think she she really really doesn't doesn't stop so I think she is gonna I, I don't know if it's because of hospitals but she, I think she's gonna enjoy every moment that much more I don't know if it's because of what she's been through but it, it feels like she wants to experience everything that much more because yes. she knows she's missed out on so much she's missed out on so much schooling so she absolutely loves school and she just doesn't want to come like come home when she's there I'm like mommy misses you and you're at school and she's like oh mommy having too much fun <laughs> oh, oh well that's me told <laughs> so it sounds like I, I mean everything is going pretty well at, at, at the moment isn't it she's you know she's in she's back at school she's she's enjoying her life it, do you know when the next sort of surgery will be or what 
what could happen in the future? Because you've said that she may have to have a transplant, a heart transplant at some point down the line. Yeah, at the moment, the surgeries, the front surgeries are classed as palliative care. So the next stage, I mean, a heart function at the moment is poor. So we are fully aware of that. It's been poor for a while. It's a TV. It's a little more through the front end procedure. And then the next stage would be a heart transplant if she went into heart failure. But when that is, or if she does, or we have no idea, um, she could be in, we have a poor heart function forever, hopefully, and be okay. For s- some miracle might happen and it might improve, or um, some other brilliant medical advances might come out. Uh, we I've read a lot about the um, a front and pump the development in America, and there's lots of different things that can come on i mean these surgeries only invented in 89 so to think by the time she's an adult who knows what there could be out there and i think that's a coping mechanism <laughs> to have hope in what 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 else could happen in the future absolutely and and do you i mean she's now seven and we've said you know a, as you've said is a proper character and and gets you know so so much out of her life do you ever allow yourself to look back and and think you know, how far we've come from that moment when you were told, you know, she, she might not live past a minute old, basically. Yeah. Um, more so because I talk to, I've got a lot, I mean, our heart family, family with um, congenital heart defects, uh, just some of the best friends I've ever made through this. And we have lots and lots of friends that we've made through the journey that we go on holiday with. One of them um is my best friend ever. I speak to her every day. But then over the years, I do get a lot of new mums get in contact with us. That's just like recently been diagnosed with this and found out in their pregnancies. And then when I, they ask us questions and I start going over it, I think it does bring it all back because it, it, it feels a bit surreal. It feels like if I picture that room and the day she was born, I feel like in my head it feels like a film I watched <laughs> or maybe like as if an out-of-body experience. <laughs> like I can picture the room and everything, but and it, but it feels like it was a film I watched, like a memory. That's how my memory serves it. Um, so it does, I actually said to my husband when a mum was asking us questions the other night who's just recently got into contact with us, she's asking about how we coped and how we managed so long in hospital and how did you juggle everything and I I tried to explain the best but I as I remember it but honestly I don't know how I cope through that myself now when I think back I think oh my goodness that like it was so much it was so full-on how did we ever cope and I I think you we were running on hardly any sleep, hardly any food, just passing, swapping, just making sure all three of the children were okay all the time. And because that was our main focus, we just run on an adrenaline, I think. And we were just literally just pacing through it for the kids um, to make sure they were all happy. And I think we're just literally running adrenaline for the whole three months and then must have crashed and burned when we all got home together. Yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, you mentioned that other families look to you for, for advice, but it, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the Facebook group you, you set up to support other families of children with congenital heart disease. So um, I'm in the middle of everything you're going through, 
you are kind of a set up this group. Can you just briefly explain to me what, what the group is? Yeah, it's um, called Half Family Group. Um, it's on Facebook. And there's a private group on it as well. There's a public page that we share awareness. But there's a private group. And we set up. Uh, I set up the private group at three, when she was three more months old when I got home from hospital. Because I'd made these brilliant connections in hospital, I'd never found friends or anybody who understood what I was going through like the other parents did even family even if I could tell family members nobody knew how it felt to have this to be going through this then nobody else seen what happened in the hospitals and nobody I don't think could ever fully understand and appreciate it that the way these other families did so I made that we made these connections um in hospital when I got home from hospital I needed it <laughs> I missed it I needed these families um so I set up a group and it just started originally all these people I'd met and then it sort of grew from there and I think we're on a good few thousands and thousands now but it's been obviously nearly seven years since it grew um, but that's that was how it all started just because I needed the support and then obviously we've um, done I think them must have felt similar and we've made brilliant some brilliant friendships out of it we go on holidays together and um, we normally before covid we've been doing yearly meetups at alton towers um because it's sort of centered to where we are in the uk so we've all got a bit of a drive and we do um and it's lovely we see all these children i think it's nice for not just the adults for the support but all these children meet other children like them not in hospital and that's really important that it's not in hospital. It's outside of hospital. They go swimming and they're all swimming and they've all got scars. They're not different. They've all got scars. So they see other people like them. And we're sitting around a table and there's a baby being tube fed and nobody stares because we're all used to it. And I think that's really important. It's really nice for the adults, but it's re just as nice for the children. That's such a brilliant point. It's kind of like their little bubble of normality, isn't it? They they feel comfortable in it because uh -huh. everyone's the same as them. Or to know they're not the only ones. Yeah, 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 mm -hmm. yeah that feeling of community. And, and also, so through the group that um, Chanel amazingly helps other children from the ward where she was treated because you both go to to the Freeman at Christmas and you raise money and deliver Christmas presents yeah we did we started that that Chanel was only um about eight months old obviously that when the first time we did it and um, we did it the first Christmas she was born and then we've done it every year since we go in on Christmas Eve and we take mascots and we deliver we fundraise some money and we buy Christmas presents with it all um, and it's lovely it just brings a little lighter mood to the ward I remember when I was in there it was like the, some of the days just feel so long you just feel like you're staring at a screen and watching numbers and it's really, really hard. And I remember when we were in there, getting visitors was one of the highlights of it. It, was, it really broke your day up. It really lightened the mood in the ward and it really saw you through. And I couldn't believe how much kindness there was. I've never experienced kindness like being on that ward. For, not just from the charity or from the nurses, but from even other families. Like I used to go and knock on my door in the flats on a night with a mum with like a pamper box. Or there was one sibling, she was only a teenager, had gone out in intensive care her her little sister was waiting for a transplant and she took her po pocket money 
and gone and bought Chanel a little outfit in Newcastle and came back to the ward with it. And she was only a teenager herself. It was that one pocket money and her, she was going through, watching her sister go through a transplant and she thought of Chanel. And uh, uh, you just don't, you can't forget these things. No. Uh, they the stick with you. I'd never experienced anything like these people. And I just wanted to do something back. And I felt sort of like a little, like a little guilt when I was home that, there were still families there going through this and I'm just sitting at home happy living my life when these are in hospital what can I like what could I do like to I think you've always felt a slight bit of helplessness with the Chanel's condition like I'm not a doctor I'm not a nurse I can't what can I do I can fundraise for money and do for money I can talk to other parents I can go and deliver presents it was my way probably as a as well that helped me give that little bit back yeah I, I don't think you realize as well just by telling Chanel's story which you've been working with the British Heart Foundation for many years now doing that and I don't think you realize the impact that has you know just other families knowing that somebody else has been through it and 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 come through the other side yeah I hope so I hope so I think if I can just tell Chanel's story and it gives somebody when I know how that feels when you're in pregnancy, as I said, that was the hardest time and you feel like there's no hope and you just get the negative news after negative news and all this medical information just to hear that little bit of hope to hang on to. And by me just telling a story, that's nothing for me to do. Like if I could help somebody by just doing that, I, you've, uh, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? Yeah, yeah no, abs- and, and you absolutely are. So can I just ask you what, I think you may have already discovered this, but what um, message would you give to other mothers and parents who are at the beginning of the journey? Like, you know, maybe uh, somebody, a lady who's just found out, you know, during pregnancy that yeah. her baby's going to be born with a heart condition. What is there a nugget of advice that, that you would give them or just some words of wisdom yeah um I think you've got to be honest and say it's 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 not easy it's you're going to enter a whole new world it's it, it'll change every aspect of your thoughts but it's not all bad there's so much good in it so much good and obviously there is the ones that don't make it devastatingly but there is hope as well there's so much more hope and as the years go on there's medical advances all the time and they can live a good quality of life in between these surgeries and hospitals you have weeks months years of brilliant brilliant life that is so worth it I think that that you can't be unrealistic and say it's 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 not all easy it really isn't but it's so worth it that's perfect, and, and and I'm sure people going through it now will, will take some comfort from that. Um, Faye, thank you so much um, for joining me today. If you've got any questions about your heart or circulatory health, call the BHF's Heart Helpline to speak with a nurse between 9 to 5 on Mondays to Fridays on 0300 330 3311 or email hearthelpline at bhf.org.uk You'll also find useful information in the episode notes and on our website bhf.org.uk
www.ordinaryfaith.org.uk Thank you.